You know, it's this iconic item that really represents the American cowboy and the American West and this pursuit of the American dream, I guess. I've always, you know, loved the way cowboys handle themselves. There's this quiet pride and work ethic and a sense of purpose and this gentleness mixed with courage, tenacity and resilience. It's just all those things somehow are are held inside this one item, you know, this cowboy hat. Welcome to Her Drive Podcast, a female-focused interview series with women of the world discussing their road trips to success. I'm your host, Cindy Kramblatt, a travel expert, business owner, and curious spirit with a knack for meeting fascinating women. Please join me as I hop in the passenger seat and chat with these ambitious women about what drives them, twists and turns, and those pedal-to-the-metal moments. Let's drive. Hello and happy fall, almost winter, everybody. I am super excited because um, living in Dallas, I'm not too far from the mountains and I'm looking forward to all the snow that's going to cover them and can get out into the beautiful nature that is the Rocky Mountains. And I'm even more excited for today's guest. Um, Her name is Courtney Green. She is the founder and hat maker of the Montana Territory Hat Company. And she is actually an Ohioan just like me, but always wanted to um, live out in the West and did so um, a little while ago. I'll let let her tell you a bit more of her story. But anyways, hey, Courtney, welcome to Her Drive Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You are welcome, and thank you for being here. So, Courtney, um, I am really curious. How does well? Let me start over. Um, so, Courtney, I'm really curious. Like, what's your story of origin? Tell me about growing up in Ohio and kind of how you got into uh, wanting to move out west. Absolutely. So, I grew up in Ohio. Um, I've always been a cowgirl at heart. I grew up riding horses and drawing. When I was little, you could always kind of find me hiding away in the barn with my sketchbook. My fingers were always gray from shading with charcoal pencils, and I was always riding whenever I could. Um, and after college, I worked in the fashion industry as a designer and a buyer, and I absolutely loved it. But I always knew I, I just knew I belonged in the mountains. Um, so, you know, I, I loved, I loved the fashion design and merchandising um, career, I suppose, because it allowed me to pursue my business degree, but still stay really connected to art and the process of making something. Um, And it was, you know, it was art, but it was on this like massive scale. And I learned so much about building brands and creating immersive experiences and product development um, and a really great appreciation for the power of photography. But Mm -hmm. I always felt pulled out West and towards doing something, something smaller, something that felt really important and of a place and could hold kind of a people and a place in reverence. So um, I got to a place in my career where I felt like it was kind of now or never as far as pursuing this dream I'd always had of living in the mountains and, you know, reconnecting with what I'd always loved about art and horses Um, but staying still kind of very connected also to what I had learned and fallen in love with, with my, um, my fashion and corporate retail background. Wow. It sounds like you have the perfect marriage of all of those things together. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, of course, as, as with anyone's career and life, it's a journey and you uncover bits along the way. Um, but I feel really fortunate to have kind of stuck with those desires and <laughs> been able to see them through. So that's beautiful. So did, was there a certain like aha moment for you when you, when you mentioned that the now or never, what was happening in your life at that point? And how did you know that was the time? I suppose for a while, I absolutely, like I said, I loved what I was doing. Um, I loved being a part of this fashion and design and merchandising world. And I was learning so much. And I was, I felt like I was a, a part of something that was creating something great for a long time. And then I felt like, you know, retail in general, um, especially mall-based teen retail and corporate uh, corporate fashion started to change a little bit. Um, the retail landscape itself began to change. And I still loved what I was doing, but I had really lost my connection to why. Retail became so big and it turned into this quick race to the bottom in terms of quality and price. And I realized that what I really wanted was to make something real, um, something that I felt inspired by and could inspire others with, um, you know, something grounded and timeless that wasn't necessarily about trends or planned obsolescence. I wanted to make something grounded in values, things that last. Um, and like I said earlier, I wanted to make something that held kind of a place and a people in reverence. And I just got to this place in my career. I had been, I'd been there for about 11 years with one company. And I just felt like I had to, I had to make a commitment and I had to either commit to this trajectory I was on, or I had to commit to this thing that I'd always wanted to do. Um, so I went in the next day and resigned and decided to make a plan to move out West. Wow. That's amazing. You just, it was basically in one day you had this discussion with yourself and, and took action. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the, the retail landscape had been evolving for a bit of time. Um, so I had kind of started losing my connection with, I guess, how much passion I had felt about what I was doing before. So that, I think that loss of, you know, passion for my day-to-day -day life in that role opened up a lot of space for me to be thinking about how I could find it again and what it would mean to find it again and what I really, what I really was passionate about and what I loved doing and what I, I've always been someone who fully commits, you know, when I'm in, I'm all in and I have to love what I'm doing because I spend so much time and headspace doing it, um, which I, I, I love doing that, you know, but I, it's really important when you are, I think when you have that kind of a personality that you can find something that you're truly passionate about and can really throw yourself into. Um, so like I said, I, you know, I felt like I was, I was kind of opening up some space to find again, what that really was. Um, you know, what I had loved so much about what I was doing that maybe wasn't there anymore. And it kind of forced me to think for a long time about, you know, what, what have I always loved doing? And what, what is it about who I really am that I've found bits of in this job that I was working so hard at? 
and then had kind of slowly lost. So I, I spent a little bit of time. So it wasn't a one, a one day thing, but once I, once I decided, I decided I, you know, there was, there was one day I, I wish there was something more dramatic to say about that day, but it was just, I had just gotten to a place where I was like, all right, I'm, I have to do this. I have to make this decision. So I went in the next day and, and told them I was, I was going to pursue something else. So. Wow. I applaud you. Were you always so, um, introspective? Yes. I've always been, um, I've always been extremely introverted, um, and creative and I've always kind of found, um, I've always been very thoughtful, I suppose, and deliberate in my decisions. Um, and I've, you know, I've always been really happy doing certain things and those things haven't changed a great deal throughout the course of my life. Um, so when I really kind of gave myself the space to, to consider it and consider what I really wanted, um, you know, once I got to a place where I was really open to it, um, it was kind of, it all kind of fell into place. Um, that's not to say that it's easy to make a big change like that, but I think sometimes I think the knowing is the easy part and then deciding to do something about it is the hard part. Um, but I felt like the risk of not doing it, I guess, was greater at some point. Mm, absolutely. And that's a beautiful message for all of us to, um, how do you want to live? Do you want to live your life having tried and maybe risk failing? Mm -hmm. Um, or do you just want to live your life thinking about how you, you could do this or you should do this or you could have in the past, but you didn't. Um, and I'm fully on board with, you know, making the deliberate decisions and, and just going for it. Yeah. So you are, you, um, kind of walking back into your story a bit, you let your employers, you're going to go in a different, know that you're going to go in a different direction. Um, and then how do you formulate your plan to, to move West? Um, well, when I, when I left, I knew that the reason I was leaving is because I wanted, I was finally going to do the thing I always wanted to do. I, I absolutely had to live in the mountains. I knew that I'd always felt the most alive and the most creative and the most connected to who I really am when I was in the mountains. Um, so that part I knew, um, it was really, you know, figuring out exactly where um and when and all of that so the as soon as i left my my job i flew out west to visit my parents who have a ranch here in montana and i had never really spent too much time in bozeman um i'd been to montana before but not really spent a lot of time in in and around bozeman and i i absolutely fell in love with it um it was one of those things that, you know, in a lot of different facets of your life, when you know, you know, and I came and knew. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I, um, I absolutely loved being here. And, um, you know, it's a, a great small town. Um, it's a college town, but it's, it's small and it's right, it's nestled right in the mountains. So, you know, you are 
you're surrounded with these beautiful views and this natural playground that's just um, unbelievable. So it really felt like a place that I could be and I could raise my kids and I could, um, you know, pursue that next chapter, which I didn't know exactly what that next chapter was when I moved out here. I just knew that this was the place that it was going to start. Okay. So you didn't know at that point, like what you were actually going to be doing in order to make a living. Is that no. what you're saying? No, I came mm-hmm. out here and I, I mean, I'd always had kind of a, I developed a love for photography um, and I an ongoing love for art and design. Um, but I had, you know, I'd saved enough money and I knew that I could take a little bit of time and explore and play and, um, you know, look for what's next. Um, and I started, a. I started a kind of freelance photography business here doing some fine artwork and some brand photography. Um, so I did that for a little while as I was kind of figuring out whether or not I was going to pursue photography as my creative outlet and, you know, business orientation for the foreseeable future, or if that was going to evolve into something else. And it turns out it did evolve into something else. After a couple years, I really missed being in product and design. Um, and I, you know, I always kind of knew that I would get back into some sort of product. But I, at the time when I left, I wasn't exactly sure what it was going to be. I knew there were certain qualities and values about what I wanted to be doing that I, this new next thing had to embody. But I wasn't 100% sure exactly what that was going to be. Um, until I really kind of got out here and immersed myself in the place and in the process of finding it. Okay. So you're out there, you're doing photography. Um, and then when does it become, um, hats that you're going to custom craft? Were you dabbling in making something else, but, or tell me more about how you got into it. No. So I was, I was doing the photography and I had, I, I kind of found all of my creative pursuits were oriented around the American West and my love for art and the West and the culture and the way of life. And um, just, I guess, the value system out here too. So, and like I said, I really wanted to do something that was grounded and timeless and not about trends or planned obsolescence. I wanted to make something that was going to last forever and would only get better with age. Um, you know, and I've, I've always loved products that were designed for life, um, things that are a little bit bigger than themselves. Um, and they, they have a natural tendency to embody a story um, and a story that builds upon itself. And like I said, only gets better with age. So there are a few product categories that I had been Kind of bouncing around in my head. Um, but I've always, always loved hats. There's this inherent quality and history and identity. Um, and they truly, a well-made fur felt hat. I say this a lot to, um, to the people that, that purchase or work with me that, you know, the day you buy one of my hats is the least cool it will ever be. You know, mm-hmm. but the day that it becomes yours, it begins to take on your story and it, you know, and it, it weathers and it ages as we all do. And it takes on this character and it truly, it becomes more than itself. And I think that, that that's just such a cool concept and a, a cool way to 
to think about how you spend your money and your time and your talent. Mm. I love that. And there's nothing really more iconic. Well, maybe cowboy boots or on the, they're on the same level, but the cowboy hat mm-hmm. is super iconic um, to the United States and to the West. Mm-hmm. So what a beautiful choice. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And it's, you know, it's this iconic item that really represents the American cowboy and the American West and this pursuit of the American dream, I guess. Um mm-hmm romance and ruggedness of the West. Um, I've always, you know, loved the way cowboys handle themselves. There's this quiet pride and work ethic and a sense of purpose and this gentleness mixed with courage, um, tenacity and resilience. It's just all those things somehow are, are held inside this one item, you know, this cowboy hat. So, so amazing. You're absolutely right. Very poetically stated. <laughs> well, you know, I grew up in Ohio too, and it it was it's been surprising for me. I've been to 48 of the 50 states, and there are cowboys in so many states. Yeah, there are. Um, and and what you just said about the the mannerisms, behaviors, the the characteristics of a cowboy seem to ring true no matter where in the U.S. Uh, you find them. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, really there, it's, it's such a beautiful way to live because, um, it's so purpose-driven and it's, you have to do the work, um, Mm -hmm. and you have to find a way to live softly and coexist with the natural world and the animals and, you know, your, it's, it's just such a, such a great way to exist and you develop such an appreciation for the natural resources and the animals that you're working with um, because your life and theirs, you depend on each other. There's no other, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very interesting dynamic because you are as dependent on them as they are on you. You're right. The symbio- symbiosis mm-hmm. of those relationships are key. Yeah, it's and um, Bozeman is not, I mean, I say not too far. It's just n- basically north of Yellowstone National Park, if I am remembering my geography it, correctly. It is, um, yeah. There's a couple yeah. different entrances, but I'm about an hour to an hour and a half away from Yellowstone right now. Right. And um, just with that national park specifically, um, thinking about at one point, all of the wolves were, the apex predator was pretty much removed, mm-hmm. killed off. And since it's been reintroduced, it's helped the the ecosystem kind of evolve. And uh, ranchers have kind of had to shift back into a, a different mindset around existing with wolves as they expand out of the park, too, I imagine. Yes, they do. Um And, you know, the same, you know, we have mountain lions and grizzly bears and all sorts mm-hmm. of um, all sorts of wildlife in the area that, um, you know, we need to figure out how to coexist with because they are as important a part of the ecosystem as anything else. Um, you know, and, and without them, we are worse off, but it's very important to figure out how to, how to coexist and how to share the grasslands and how mm-hmm. to, um, you know, how to still run your, run your herd, but allow, the wolves to do what wolves do too. Um, Mm. 
So it's really, really important to to learn how to coexist and to appreciate that everything has value. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess when you start with that perspective, you figure out how to coexist rather than you know resist or push against it. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, speaking of learning, uh, I'm curious, how did you learn how to to make the fur felt hats? Oh, man. So making so hat making is a very old craft or trade. So it's been around, you know, around in the 1800s and before. So there's a lot of information out there as far as, you know, different methods and practices and materials that people have um, used over time to, to build these hats. And the way that we build them today is much the same as the way they've always been built. My, my tools are, are just like, some of them are antiques and some of them are, um, you know, remade in the exact same fashion as the, the original tools. So I make everything hundred percent by hand. Um, starts with a piece of, of felt and then through a process of um, heat and steam and pressure, uh, it becomes a hat. Um, so I would say that when I first, when I got interested in it, I read everything I could find. I read all the books and all of the, um, you know, any sort of, I watched videos online and anything I could find. Um, of how these old original hat makers would make their cowboy hats. And then once I figured out, you know, what, what I needed and, and generally what I was doing, it's a, it's a process of trial and error. You just start kind of playing um, and working with the felt and it's through a lot of repetition, I suppose. (laughs) That makes total sense. I've recently got into my mom's um, an engineer slash baker, and uh, I've recently got really into baking. Uh, well, more so like decorating, so cake decorating. And oh, sis, it's it's the same thing. It's it's uh, all trial and error, and just watching tons of videos and reading, and and then just getting the the feel for using the different pipes and the consistency of the icing. Um, but it seems like with with cake decorating you can kind of just scrape the icing off <laughs> and start over um how does that work in hat making is there like a do over process or is it kind of oh this is this is you have to get it kind of right on uh, the first go around um and or or scrap the whole thing no you can there is there is a bit of do over um if you want to this felt is so beaver felt is very interesting in that it through through steam and heat it becomes very very pliable. So it it almost becomes mushy and um, flexible. And then as it cools, it dries um, and cools and hardens in whatever shape you just put it in. So it's and if you want to redo it, you can again use steam and, and heat and it will become soft again. So there is, there is a bit of forgiveness in mistake making, I suppose, in hat making as well, where, um, you can, you can reshape a hat and you can, you know, you can kind of re remake it. Um, I found myself in the early days, you know, I, I would shape 
a brim or shape a crown. And then, you know, I'd move away from it for a few days and come back and I would tweak it again. And I would, you know, so you kind of get, you're developing your muscle memory and your ability to make something as much as you're developing your eye and your preference for what you want it to look like. So, um, so you can, you can redo things in hat making as well. Um, okay. That's great. I, well, I, I have a couple of cowboy hats and chaps and all those things from when I used to show horses. And since moving to Texas, I've brought the hats, um, with me and, um, have had the, I've had them like reshaped or fixed. So I know that I've seen the steaming process, but it's really cool to hear you talk about um, the actual process of shaping them and and how it can be made a bit differently. Um, When choosing, I know you do everything custom, um, but when you're first starting out and even with some of the hats that you show on your your Instagram and your website, um, how did you determine which styles you wanted to do? Was it just from your specific eye and what you like, or were you looking at fashion trends? Like, I don't know what is it called. The the one that's really popular now it's, is it the gambler, like uh, the flat top and flat bill hat. Um, that seems to be a bit more popular now. Are you trying to serve design trends or or a mixture of both, or or how do you just how do you decide what you want to make? Um, so when I'm building a collection for just for myself or for my showroom, I always I want a balance of silhouettes, so I, I want it to look. Um, you know, I want some, some variety, but when I'm choosing the, the shapes and the colors and the trims, I try to keep everything very grounded or passing through a filter of what's authentic to the American West and inspired by a heritage and inspired by authentic workwear and something that, um, truly is of the West and it looks like it could have been made a hundred years ago. Um, and I think that's one of the things I love about this product and, and hats is that, you know, I want, they're just as cool 50 years, a hundred years ago as they will be 50 years from now or a hundred years from now. So, so most of my inspiration comes from vintage and old Westerns and looking through books of, um, you know, vintage Western wear and trends and, um, and things like that more so than following any sort of um, future trend or predictive source. I love that. And that makes them timeless. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Timeless. Um, and I try to create, I, I want everything to feel like it has a story that's rooted in Montana and the American West. So yeah. So I would say I look, I very rarely will look to any sort of, runway or future trend. Um, I'd like to stay grounded in the past with this product for the most part. Mm, that's awesome. I saw on your Insta, um, I don't know, a week or two ago that you had some gemstones that you put on one of the hats and mm-hmm. it said that it was mined in Montana. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. They're, um, they're mined right here in Montana. So I was trying to create a collection that was kind of grounded or called icons of the West. So I tried to create a hat around various personalities or pursuits or people in the American West, um, people more loosely defined than a specific person. But, um, you know, we have so much history and culture here from 
cowboys and the miners and prospectors and, um, you know, the building of the railroads. And there's so many story starters out here in the American West. When you just think about what that, what that movement West looked like, um, and all the different personalities that existed as the West was being formed into what it is today. Um, so I, I tried to kind of create stories around all those different personalities. I think that's amazing. Well, it looks like you're doing it. <laughs> um, may I ask you a few questions in, uh, in association to the challenges with sure. starting new learning things? Like what, um, what was the most challenging part of deciding which direction you wanted to go um, once you were kind of moving out of photography and into something more... Um, not to say more tangible. Um, I would say the most challenging leap was not really knowing if it was going to work. You know, I, I had left something that was extremely secure (laughs) and, um, you know, financially secure and socially secure and all the things were, you know, all the boxes were, were largely checked as far as that being such a safe place to exist. Um, so when I kind of moved into this kind of unknown space of creating something new, this idea for hats had been living in my head for quite some time, but it took a while for me to really go for it. Um, because you just, you don't, you don't know if you're going to be able to support yourself doing this thing that you really want to do. Um, you don't know that if, that if your vision will come to fruition the way that it exists in your head, and you don't know if anyone else will care about it the way that you do. Um, so I think that's the hardest part is going for it and, and finally deciding that, you know, the, what's the worst that could happen? You know, the worst that could happen is I try this and I learn something and it doesn't work and I do something else. So I, once I got to that place um, and that being the worst case scenario, I felt like I was ready to kind of jump into it um, and allow for that uncertainty to exist. Amazing. Um, so I call it my itty bitty shitty committee, but it's essentially just the negative, uh, voices, thoughts Mm -hmm. that pop up that kind of try to turn me around when I'm wanting to move forward, fear, you know, whatever you may call it. Um, but how did you, how did you handle your itty bitty shitty committee, so to speak? Um, I suppose the more that I fell in love with the idea the quieter they became. Mm. Um, And I suppose, I guess my excitement around it just got louder in my own head. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I, I I spent so much time like writing um, just ideas and thoughts and coming up with these stories that I could tell. And I started becoming more confident that I could actually make a hat. And I started feeling more confident about, why I wanted to do it and what it would represent and what it would stand for and, and who I could see wearing it. And I just, I guess my excitement around it just got louder than 
those voices. Um, not that they didn't exist and not that there aren't even day, days now where I start doubting something or wondering like, how long can this go? How long can I do this? <laughs> you know, will people continue to love these and all that kind of stuff. So there's, there's always, there's always a tendency for you to question yourself and wonder if you're good enough and wonder if your idea is strong enough and wonder if someone else is going to come and, you know, try to do the same thing in your market. And, you know, there's, there's just all those voices, but I suppose you just have to keep turning yourself on with your idea. You know, you just have to keep the excitement going and love it more than everyone else Mm -hmm. and work harder than everyone else, you know, and then, and if you love it, it's, it's all good. It's worth it. You know? Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Um, well, this is my favorite question to ask the lovely women that I, I get to talk to. Um, if you could go back in time and give a younger you, um, a bit of advice, what age would you be? And what would you say? Oh man, I think I would be, um, the age. I think probably when I was in middle school or high school is when I started really trying to be perfect and really trying not to make any mistakes and really trying to just do everything that I was supposed to do. Because I think you get to a place in that time period, I suppose, in life where you start wondering about yourself and feeling like, you know, you start feeling exposed to a certain degree and you start feeling like things are out of control. And the way that I responded to that was to try to control even more. And I tried to be perfect and I tried never to make mistakes. And I tried to always, you know, just I just never wanted to be wrong. Um, and I think that was really harmful in some ways. And I think it's, I think a lot of people do that where you fall into this pattern of trying to be all the things that you should be. And somewhere along the way, you stop listening to the part of you that just tells you what you want to be. Um, so I suppose I would. I suppose I would go back to that time period and just say, just relax. Like <laughs> just, <laughs> just do whatever you want to do because it's really not that big of a deal. Like if you're a good person and you're working hard and you're pursuing whatever it is in a way that makes you, you know, happy and you're doing good things and you're, you're, you know, trying and failing and trying again, like that's all such good stuff. Um, but I think that I, it took me a really long time to decide to do this thing that I always wanted to do. Um, and I suppose I would have just told myself to relax and, you know, and it, it will work out. Um, and it doesn't mean that you screw around and you don't work hard or anything like that. You know, you, but it's okay. You don't, you don't have to 
there's so many ways to find um, success and make money and be good at something. And it's not always, it's not always something that you've, that everyone else is going to agree with. Um, so mm. I would just probably tell myself to relax and, and go for it and pursue all the things I want to do. Mm, I think that's an amazing bit of advice. And I, I want to go back and tell myself the same exact thing. Um, <laughs> And, and personally, I, I find that when we're doing things that we enjoy, we just automatically are better people. We're happier. We're more vibrant and alive. So do you want to suffer through life and try to be perfect, but not be happy? Um, or just, or do it and, or like, just do what you want. <laughs> I tell my nieces and nephews all the time. I'm like, just do whatever you want to do. Um, and you mentioned something in your in the last time you were speaking and you said um, you were talking about success and, you know, society's version of success, your own version of success. Like has your definition of success changed over time? Um, Definitely. Yeah. I would say, and I would say the reason that it's changed is because I'm comfortable being the decider now. Like Mm. I get to decide if this is successful or not successful. And, you know, I used to define success as not getting in trouble or not that I got in trouble, but, you know, not doing the wrong thing. Or, you know, if, if someone else thought that, you know, I had done something well or was on the right track or I got a good review or, you know, something like that, I would, you know, consider that a good day, but God, it's nothing compared to meeting your own expectations and, you know, working your ass off and then seeing something that you poured your soul into working. Um, you know, that's really success and doing, doing something that's so fully aligned with your values and the kind of person you want to be and the kind of product you want to create and the kind of work you want to do and the example that you want to set. Um, and if you can do all of that while like living softly on the planet and coexisting in the natural world in a way that doesn't totally screw it up. Like, I think that's, you're definitely on the right track. <laughs> mm, absolutely. That's beautiful. Well, I have just one last question because you have been so amazing. Um, <laughs> Uh, telling your story and, and answering the questions I've had so far. Um, when, uh, you know, looking towards the future and kind of using the analogy of like out the windshield of your car, mm-hmm. um, what do you see up ahead for yourself or for your brand? Um, I want to continue doing this um, for the foreseeable future. I absolutely love what I'm doing. I love where I'm doing it. Um, and I love the life that I'm living right now. So I, I would love to continue to grow this business and expand on opportunities to immerse people in the story. Um, and I want to grow in a way, whether it's through you know, additional product categories that foot to the same sense of values or, you know, just grow my presence in the market as you know, as the business is today, um, you know, it's important to me that through 
growth and immersion, the brand still stays really small and elevated and special and timeless. Mm -hmm. All of those things that I had that were important to me at the beginning and are extremely important to me today. It's important to me that those, those are forever cornerstones of the brand. Um, but I'm excited to, to grow whatever, whatever that means. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, everybody. This is Courtney Green. She's the designer and the owner of the Montana Territory Hat Company. And I'm just so excited that we got to have this chat. Is there anything else, Courtney, that you'd like to add before we say farewell? I don't think so. I am so grateful for your time and the opportunity to talk to you today. Beautiful. Well, Courtney, if you could just um, give a shout out to where everyone can find you and your brand. Absolutely. So I, I'm pretty active on Instagram as far as posting new content and stories and, um, you know, little bits about the American West. And that is at Montana Territory Hat Co. And then my website also is a place where you can kind of look for additional items and reach out to me through, uh, through an order form or contact. And that is MontanaTerritory.com. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being an amazing human and creating such beautiful, timeless pieces. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Her Drive with Cindy Cramplett. If you want to know more about today's guest or know a fascinating woman you'd love for me to interview, please see the show notes, visit Instagram or her-drive.com. And please, 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 if you love the show, leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for riding along and subscribe to join our next woman and her drive to success.